Hey everybody, welcome to the 105th episode of the JDO Show. I'm coming at you from Seoul, South Korea. And today on the show, we have Mike McCrary. He's the author of the Remo series, also the Steady Teddy series. Uh, we talk about a lot of cool stuff on this, including using the F-bomb in your work, uh, how to get an agent, outlining an entire series, my special theory on Chuck Palahniuk, and something about a rubber sheet. There was a, a scene that Mike wrote in one of his books that was so egregious that it actually uh, completely destroyed his career. So we have a couple of good laughs about that. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I hope your week, which I guess is just starting now, goes totally swell. And I'll be back on Thursday with... Uh, which one am I going to do on Thursday? Uh... Say Rachel Bell. We'll be back on Thursday with Rachel Bell. All right. Talk to you soon. Enjoy this 105th episode of the JDO Show with Mike McCrary. So if you could kind of like give our listeners just a little background about, about what you what you do as a, as a writer, like what your thing is. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I kind of I stumbled into books. I, like I said briefly, I used to do screenwriting. Uh, I live in L.A. and just kind of got kicked around for years and fed up with it and really just kind of turned to uh books out of frustration more than anything else just kind of mm -hmm. being pissed off mm -hmm. um first book i did was remo went rogue and one of the small independent publisher and it went great and everything was fine and then uh you know and they and the great guys and but I, I really started taking control of it about a year ago and doing the self-published thing mm -hmm. um and that's it's it's definitely a lot better it's it's a lot of work you know you know i'm doing the same thing you are yeah just i'm not broken river i'm just mike mccurry so it's uh as you know, it's a lot of stuff, but I mean, as far as just the books, I write kind of pulpy action stuff, kind of transitioning more into thrillers with the next thing, but I'm, I just, yeah, I, I try not to take it too seriously. You know my stuff, it's not, uh, you know, it ain't poetry. It's just, it's just, it's a good time. It's a lot of action, a lot of bad words, a lot of fun, a lot of stuff. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Do you ever, do you get any of those Amazon reviews that are like, this book had filthy language oh all of them i mean go <laughs> if you're interested go to amazon go to amazon put in remo and Rogue. there's like 104 i don't know 140 reviews i, I don't know 10 percent of them are one stars and they were all about the f word <laughs> every damn last one of them i get emails about it i mean it's crazy i'll, I'll get at least a couple of months what the, the fuck, that's, man? That's yeah, so exactly. Weird. That's what I'm like saying. Just berating me about the F word. Love the book, but you have to use the F word so much. Well, or, I mean, my, my question is like, who are these people who are crime fiction fans who are finding books that <laughs> don't have F words in them? Because I'm pretty sure, I mean, if you're doing, you know, with all due, like if you're doing like cat cozies, I mean, I get that. Right. Uh, but a person right. who, who likes to read cat cozies, why the fuck would they pick up? So, well, that's in like, this. The crazy thing, like the first sentence in Remo went rogue is Leslie likes to fuck men, and that's <laughs> it's there. Yeah. And it's there one because I think it's kind of a funny line, but two, it's a warning shot. Like if this yeah. bothers you, shit ain't right. gonna get any better between you and I. Right, right, right. <laughs> this is how this is gonna go. Yeah, no, and it reminds still, me yeah. of uh, what what Elroy said about the cold six thousand, where his opening line is, uh, um, he went to. He went to Las Vegas to kill an N-word pimp named Wendell Durfee or something like that, and he right, just right. like he dropped the N-bomb in that first line, and that's I yeah, think that's exactly what he said. He was like, "I was just letting people know, you know." Yeah, let's make things abundantly clear. I mean, yeah. my favorite email was a woman out of the blue sent me an email said, "Look, I couldn't figure out how to leave a review on iBooks, mm -hmm. so I'm just, I was thought I'd send you an email." I'm like, "Oh, okay." She I, she couldn't, you know. 
nice little lady couldn't figure out how to do the, the review, right. so she wanted to send it to me personally. It was a two-paragraph thing about how much I suck, <laughs> how the language was horrible, yeah. how the book was shit, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what level of depravity do you have to be to like yeah. – one, you have to find my email address – Oh yeah, and then no, you have sure. then you have to personally send me an email telling me that I suck ass. That's well, just... it's I think the problem is is that most people who actually read books might be autistic, so I mean that, <laughs> that might be the problem there. Hold on, can you give me one sec? I'm gonna put uh, my my fan is going. I'm gonna put this. On, I'm gonna put this on a shoebox. I'll be right back. All right, uh, we all got right. this state of the art shit, man. Yeah, I know this is high tone. All right. All right, sorry about that. But yeah, no, no so, problem. I mean, I, I don't really get that. I mean, like, I think that, I mean, I've had a lot of uh, bad reviews on, like, Goodreads and stuff, mainly right. about, um, like, that say, like, my books are, like, homophobic, which... Oh, really? I mean, they, I do a lot of, like, there's a lot of gay jokes, like... The characters are always <laughs> that'll like, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, they're like always calling each other gay, and uh, right, which to me is just. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, and sure, it, like calling your friend gay or telling him that he has a little penis is never gonna not be funny to me. <laughs> like, so yeah. I, I just right, I can't right. really, I can't really shake. Well, it. I mean, some of that, some. Of, I mean, yeah, I get it, but I mean, I mean, some of that just speaks to character. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that yeah. they got bad characters. I mean, I mean, growing up like. Calling something gay, not that it was right, but I mean, calling something gay was the same thing as calling it stupid or calling it yeah. just, you know, it wasn't necessarily had anything to do with the sexual act of being homosexual. Right, right. For some reason, it just became slang for everything. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, like, I guess I'm not, like, going to go into the whole defense of why I think uh, calling things gay is hilarious. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Probably not wise. Probably not. No, not, not, not in today's climate. I mean, I've learned how to shut my mouth on Facebook in general. I don't know. If, yeah, like I've completely clammed up. I don't know about you. What do what do you what do you, what do you I just use stay it for? Out of it. Yeah, you just stay Facebook. Out of it. Yeah, it's you know it's it's the standard to whore myself for the books and then yeah. just to, you know if I see something funny I'll put it out there and yeah. mainly just keep track of you know all the people we know from BoucherCon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'll say yo, you know, there's you know somebody from high school has got some cute pictures of their kids or whatever. You know, it's not. I don't. I try really hard. I mean, especially this last election, probably. Like you just beat the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 if it wasn't for the writing thing, I probably wouldn't be on Facebook right now. Right, right, right. Because yeah. it's it's just it's just too much. And I would like to think we've learned our lesson, but I got a feeling three years from now we're still going to be doing the same shit in the next election. So it's just kind of probably, probably. You know, I hope for the best, but you know. Yeah, yeah. You hope for the best, but I mean, also, it's um, it just seems so deeply entrenched to me. You know what I mean? Like the, right. it's like the the. The sickness goes so deep; it's just hard to, it even think about where to even start, you know. And yeah, I mean that that was Facebook for me too. I mean, I think I've unfollowed so many people over the course of the years that now, literally, the only posts that I see on there are like, there's like you and a few of my other buddies, like literally, like it's you five, like five other people, and then everything else is like in Spanish or Portuguese or whatever because it's like all my friends who like they're they're, you know how every once in a while there will be like somebody from like Africa hello somebody knock anyway you know how there will be like somebody from like Africa that will add you and you'll be like I have no idea why you want to be my friend but right yeah and I'll just I'll just just follow them yeah I'm starting to kind of be a little bit more conscious of that it used to be especially the writing thing if you forget who you've met or like, you know, I used to go to BoucherCon, like say, I'm, I think I'm Facebook friends with 
everybody within a mile of this damn hotel. Yeah. But I think I've only met five of them. Right. Right, right, right. So, so you, just, you have this collection of friends who aren't your friends and it just gets a little out of control. So I'm trying to be a little more conscious about that stuff, but it's, I, well, no, it seems like, it right. seems like it's a, it's a tool, you know, I think we're kind of looping back around, like it's all horseshoeing. Like we started out using it in a certain way and then all, we're right. like, Oh, look at all the opportunities we can have for, right. Right. You know what I mean? And now it's like, I think we're all looping back and being like, well, I don't really know if opportunities is the right word maybe we could just like <laughs> but yes. yeah it's it's so, just a way of keeping track of people yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. exactly so how do you so you put out a book probably every what would you say quarter is that fair uh try to yeah it's kind of gone that way in the last year or so so it's how, not it how do you not necessarily intentional but yeah how do you do that like how do you write <laughs> how the fuck do you do that yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I write kind of fast. I, um, like I, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I kind of train myself with screenplays and later with books. And, and I mean, to be honest, a lot of those Remo books aren't that damn long. They're pretty much novellas, basically. Hmm. The steady Teddy stuff's a little bit longer, but I, um, I, I've kind of honed a process over the years and got a, kind of just gotten real efficient at it, yeah. I guess. Hey, and you, I also you follow like a structure, like a three act thing. Like, do you outline and shit? Yeah, I didn't used to, and for the longest time I didn't. You know, I was, I was that guy like, fuck that, I don't need that. You know, that's that's for hoity-toity bullshit, whatever. But I, I got to where I did. I would do like a beat sheet, and I would break it out by act and by beats. So it'd be like a one sentence, like there's a car chase, get to point A to point B, and very very thin stuff. And I've gotten mm-hmm. to where I'll do a much more de- detailed outline, just because it's easier for me to know. Once I know what the hell I'm doing, I can mm-hmm. write fast. Right. So like. I have a full-time job, so I do this. I get up in the morning and, and write, so I know I don't have a whole whole lot of time. So if I can pull up an outline saying, "Oh, I'm going to write this thing," look at the thing, and then I'll set a timer for 20, 25 minutes, and I'll just burn. Yeah. And just write, and there's not even a backspace on the keyboard, and oh, just wow. go all the, even, even if I misspell anything, I don't care. I just go 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 because yeah. you can always go back and make it pretty. Right. And I've got, and I've gotten to wearing like a 20, 25 minute stretch, somewhere between 600 and 1,000 words. Oh, that's awesome! Just yeah. just going blah, but but you have to know what you're doing first. If you just yeah yeah yeah, you know, set the timer and just start burning words, you're just gonna have this fucking soup of nothing, and you have to kind of carve a plot out of it, which is a complete waste of time. Or at yeah, least. That, but well, I know that, people can do that. There's people that pants whole books and they don't, you know, they don't outline at all. So to each yeah. their own. Yeah, I feel like I've been a pantser for most of it, but I think I'm pretty much done with that shit. Um, I would really like to know where I'm going and just be able to sit down. And so that's pretty much, that's like the Pomodoro technique, right? Like the, the 20, 25 minute thing. I, I get, yeah. I don't know. I had a name. Yeah. What was this Pomodoro you speak of? Well, it's like they've uh, essentially made a whole industry out of like making these little timers that look like tomatoes. Um, and the timers are set for like 25 minutes. Cause that's the whole idea of the thing okay. is that if you sit down and you do, uh, it's online too. You can look up Pomodoro timer and it'll be like, you know, um, you can set it for 20, 25 minutes and then it'll give you a break and then it'll beep when it's time for you to start again. And it's just this idea that you get things done better, you know, incrementally rather yeah. than, you know, sitting there and, uh, you know, burning out for four or five hours. Yeah, there's, there's no, I don't, I mean, you hear people like, oh, I wrote all day. I'm like, I, I think they're full of shit. I don't think there's any fucking way anybody is sitting there writing. No. For eight or ten hours a day, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe you are. I don't know, but it's there's just you can't do it. And even if you are, it's I, I got to think by like hour or two, you're just writing shit. I don't, you know. <laughs> no, totally. I, and I think that I think that people can do it uh, in 
in bursts. I think that there are uh, friends of mine like uh, Jeremy Johnson and Carlton Mellick, the Bizarro guys. Mm -hmm. They'll actually rent out a hotel room for a weekend and they'll do the whole creepy shut-in thing, you know, where the blinds are right. drawn and they they only go out for like <laughs> booze and cigarettes and shit. And uh and they'll just they'll, their goal will be to get, you know, 30 to 40,000 words down. Uh, Jesus. no matter what it looks like. And it's, you know, I mean, it works for them. I don't, I don't really know uh, what method works for me. I I'm so erratic. I work in fits and starts and I'm just trying 2018 is all about discipline though, man. That's what I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do about that. You might want to aim higher than talking to me about it. <laughs> I mean, my, I mean, mine's more out of necessity. It's not, you know, that I'm a hugely disciplined human being. Right. It, it's more about, like, I have a certain amount of time, and if I want to write books, you're going to have to do it now or give up, right? Mm -hmm, and I don't mm -hmm. necessarily want to do that, I, you know, so, and I don't make enough money on writing books like a lot of people to quit my day job, so here's 24 yeah. hours a day, you got to figure it the fuck out, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of where I am. Yeah. Do you do you have any like uh, so? What time do you wake up in the morning? Then is it like five ah, six? Geez. I get about four, about four fifteen. Four. So, yeah. And do you have yeah, do you do you drink it all the night before or because <laughs> that that that's a problem with me for waking up. It's like if I have a couple of beers the night before, like I'm not waking up at four. No, I don't. I my plus I'm too old for that shit anyway. So it's, yeah. I yeah, if I'm out boozing the night out, I'm not getting up at four o'clock to write shit. That's just yeah. gonna be a lost day. Right. Yeah, right, right. No, I, there's there's no way. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I typically don't uh, don't lay down the booze the night before. Do you do you drink much at all? <laughs> I do. I I go and start like a, you know you you see me at BoucherCon. Yeah, I'll yeah, definitely yeah. light it up for those four days and right. You know, and I'll, I'll go to happy hours or whatever. But I, I certainly don't drink the way I used to. I used to throw down all the time in 20s and whatever but uh right. you know i'm 47 years old man that shit hurts <laughs> it's not it's not that i don't want it's it's like people say like oh he's maturing like no i don't buy that i don't think anybody's maturing i would love to go out and get hammered every night and right. you know screw around downtown and chase you know all whatever yeah. it just it just fucking hurts exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, I guess to, yeah you get to a point where you're like uh i mean i'm getting there right now like, I'm, I'm 31 and it's like I definitely am finding myself like slowing way, way, way down. <clears throat> yeah. But it's almost like I just like switched it up. Like I don't drink as much, but I'm like, oh, I can take some, you know, I can smoke a little weed and eat some mushrooms right. and, you know, like just trip out, man. You know, like that's more yeah. my speed now. Yeah, you're expanding. You're expanding your horizon. <laughs> that's the same thing as maturity, right? Right, right, right. Just <laughs> maturity is finding more gentle ways to get fucked up. Exactly, a kinder, <laughs> kinder, gentler, fucked up. It's all we're all, only thing we're all looking for. No, I mean, like I said, me, me slowing back in the booze is not about discipline or, or maturity. It's about pain avoidance. It's more right. about being a pussy. <laughs> right, right. There you go. No, no, totally. No, I can, I can totally feel that too. And I think that, I think that that's where I got to with, <clears throat> with a lot of stuff with the, whether it was exercise or you know cutting back on. Uh, you know, like stopping smoking cigarettes or whatever. It's like with cigarettes, you just get to a point where you're like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel good anymore. You know, <laughs> right. like, it's like I, when you wake up and you're like, I can't fucking breathe. I need to be able to yeah. breathe. That's like important for life and stuff. Yeah. When, when the downside is outweighs the upside, then you, you got to kind of find, figure things out. It's yeah. the reason when the reasons you were doing it don't, don't exist anymore. Then you're like, why, why am I really doing this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so basically, you so you do the outline, and then you sit yep. down and you knock it out, and 
is there is do you outline entire series of books like do you're like okay i'm gonna do this one as a trilogy this one is gonna be four or is it just like you get to an end and leave yourself a cliffhanger and just see where you go from there yeah, I mean, I wrote the Remo went rogue book in 2013, and then when I got uh, the rights back, started doing it myself. I decided I was going to do it as a series because mm-hmm. people like that book, and they're always like, "Oh, we want more Remo." I'm like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." You know, yeah. Be- being the economic genius that I am, let's give people what they're fucking asking for and might yeah. pay for. It. So, and I love that character, so I, I never. Without intending, I mean, the end of the first book has kind of an open ending. I guess it does have an open ending. So mm-hmm. then I just kind of went from there and I, but I didn't necessarily map out the trip. I didn't map out all four books. I'd map out the next book and then leave myself an out for, for a three and a four. But yeah, it's series are hard though, man. I would. Yeah. People love them though, dude. Like you were talking about the the, the economics of it. Like you're, you're actually, you're not lying. I mean, people, if people know that there's, you know, four books to a series or whatever, I feel like they're much more likely to actually check that shit out than a, than a one-off. Yeah, I mean, and it diminishes. Like, I've seen it with, like, Remo. Like, more people will buy the second one, then, you know, less of them will buy the third and the fourth. But it's definitely a funnel. Right. Um, if, you can, if you can get them in there. But it's just, you know, you just get tired. And the problem is, you get on this hamster wheel of trying to keep putting things out. And it, you have to kind of go through the exercise, like, why, you know, am I doing it just to do it? Or am I doing it because I love writing this? Right. Or am I doing it just to serve, you know, the greater... Uh, you know, the greater economic good, but just, which is, you know, more, more the artist question that we all have. Yeah, no, that's something that I've been turning over in my head a whole bunch. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like, I've been doing the indie stuff for a while and I think I'm finally sure. ready to start, you know, doing, playing the same game that everybody else plays, like <laughs> the agent game, you know, which I've never played yeah, before because yeah. I've always been very, very suspicious of it. And it's always sure. struck me as a little bit just like, I don't know, and a lot of our friends do this, so I'll get to offend everybody at once. But the whole agent game has, Let's just, always, do it. has just always seemed like really kind of like scared, you know? Like, why are you so yeah. scared? Like, just go do it. But I think over time I've learned uh, that that was maybe – it was half right, you know? I mean, yeah. but there is a larger structure in play here. So have you ever done – have you ever gone that route? Have you ever fucked around with agents or what? Yeah, I mean, I had an agent and a manager – and all that with the screenwriting stuff, mm. um, which is a different animal with the same same game, sure. right? Um, and it didn't end well. I mean, I, the manager and I are still friends, and, and that's all cool and stuff. But the, the agent thing did not end well, and mm. uh, you know, it ended up in fuck you, no fuck you. <laughs> it was, right, right, right. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a whole a whole thing. The guy was a douchebag, and it was it was just bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think it's like anything else. There's good agents and bad agents. Yeah, and. But you have to realize going in, these people are not in the profession of being your buddy. Right. Which I think is some people get an agent just as some sort of affirmation, like, oh, I've right. made it now. Or, right. like, and that's not true. Those, those agents, they have bills too. They got, you know, they got mortgages, they got credit cards and all their shit, and they make money off of the shit you do. And if the shit you do isn't making any money, then they got to move the fuck on. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's, that's kind of the hard lesson. In the, yeah, and that's kind of the hard lesson a lot of writers. Um, get into like oh uh, you know I'm working so hard and doing all this stuff my agent won't call me back well your agent's trying to eat it doesn't make they're yeah. not evil necessarily yeah. they're just especially they got the same fucking you problems you like do. A, yeah exactly especially if you have like a really good agent and it's like oh I have uh, you know Jillian Flynn's agent and I'm like 
that right. might that might not be the best idea yeah. because guess um, who guess who's getting called back first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, who has you. who has priority there? And they're like, it, it, I had this high, this insanely you know powerful you know badass agent from New York, and I didn't get anything out of it. And it's like, well, that's because you're you're on the bench, man. You're 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 the C squad, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I think I think some people think they get they get the agent, and oh, now now the heavens are going to open up and money's mm-hmm. going to rain down. I'm like, no, this is where you really need to start working to keep that agent because if you you might get a book or two, and if those don't do shit, then you know yeah. they're either just going to let you die on the vine or they're just going to tell you to go fuck yourself. It's, yeah. it's you know. Well, I think that's the but, other thing that kind of kept me from it too. Maybe I was a little scared, is because it does feel like once you make an, a good faith run at that kind of thing, yeah, how you perform feels kind of like etched in stone you know what i mean yeah and yeah. uh but i guess I, I got to a point where i'm like well there's always self-publishing i mean create space isn't going anywhere so yeah and that's kind of where i got like i you look if some great agent comes up to me and say hey i got a plan where we can sell your shit to netflix i'm taking that call you yeah, know i don't sure. i don't want to give the impression like ah you know i'm into everybody and go fuck themselves hell no look i if i if somebody contacts me with something nice i yeah, dude I'll, I'll whore myself out in a flash but it's <laughs> uh but <laughs> But the nice thing with the self-publishing thing is you can kind of do what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if I, to me, there's two kinds of writers. There's people that just want to write because they like to write. Yeah. And they don't care if they make any money in it. Yeah. And they're cool with that, and that's fine. And, and yeah. more power to them. But, I mean, if you want to be a writer that makes a living writing, then you're going to have to probably make some concessions at some point. And oh, that's kind of where I am. I'm trying to write what I want to find that sweet spot, and I, I'm getting there. Find that sweet spot of stuff that I want to write and still have it be stuff that people will actually buy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and that yeah. is possible. It is possible. Yeah. You know, you can find that uh, that place, but it's, you know, I've, I've learned some hard lessons with that. And it's, but it, it, you just, you got to do some soul searching. What do you totally. want to do? Yeah, totally. Um, no, and that's so cool that you're talking about that because I was actually just having a conversation with a friend about this exact thing. And um, I talked to so many people who are like, uh, you know, they talk about like a James Patterson book or something and they say, right. You know, oh, I could just like I could I could never do that, right? And I was <clears throat> I was listening to a podcast with this guy Connor Habib, who's a gay porn star, and uh, he was doing this uh, podcast about about doing porn. And they asked mm. him like, uh, "Well, what 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 do you do when you have to fuck somebody who you're not attracted to? Do you fake it?" And he was like, "Well, no, you can't really fake it because it would look bad on camera. So you have to find your way into." Uh, the attraction, right? And so uh-huh. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, if I were to go mainstream, it would kind of be like having to, you know, like fuck a little, you know, bald fat guy. But how could right. I find my way into that? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but I mean, we've all fucked bald fat guys. I mean, it's just, you come on. Yeah, for sure. It's for just, sure. You just, you just, you just do this the same exercise, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, but the, I guess, I guess like what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is just that, uh, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, you know, maybe I could take this, like, you know, let's say it's a thriller, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's, there's 800,000 thrillers out there, but you mm-hmm. know, maybe there's a way in, you know, maybe there's a way to like not do it cynically because that's what people want, but maybe there's a way that I, you know, that you can find your way into these things. Yeah. I mean, they used to talk about like when I was doing screenplays, I always talk about like, there are no new ideas, but it was like finding, writing your version of Die mm-hmm. Hard. Right. 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 Take 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 that movie and write it the way that JDO would write it. Write it the way Mike McCreary would write it. Take right. that whatever the hell it is and do it your mm-hmm. way. And that's how something 
and that can turn into something new. But but the other thing is like if, if you just write something just to completely whore yourself out and it's not your thing and you're just painting by numbers or whatever, mm-hmm. people are gonna see through that shit. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean people people bash on Chuck Tingle and all that shit and the erotica stuff and all that which makes a truckload anyway, even though I don't get it, but those right. people do. Right. Yeah. No, I I'm sorry, we had a little weird connection issue there. What oh, was the Chuck- last thing that you said? Uh, well, I was talking about like you know the erotica fiction and people bash Chuck Tingle and all these weird you know kind of dino sex things and all this right. erotica stuff is making a shitload of money. Yeah. But if I was to sit down and write one of those just to you know cash in on that or whatever, people are going to see right through it because those people get it, even though I don't. They right. like that kind of thing and they see an imposter and it wouldn't work. And the right. same thing works for like if you try to go out and do a lawyer thriller and that's right. just not your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are going to people are going to know. I mean, it's, oh, totally. Yeah, no, it would be it would be massively transparent. Unless it was like, uh, you know, it's like uh, doing some weird cut up of John Grisham books or something like that. They'd be like, oh, right. that's, that's more on brand. But yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it, it is that balance that you're talking about where you can't like, you can't necessarily, like, it wouldn't make any sense if you were to all of a sudden write an Amish romance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, who, sa- who says I'm not? But I was going to say, but if it was an Amish romance where... Like more, maybe a little bit more Banshee, you know? You ever watch that show, yeah. Banshee? I've seen a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. Man, that show fucking kicked ass. I think Johnny Shaw told me to watch that one. Right. And well, uh, there you go. There's no higher praise. Yeah, exactly. And it's got like, you know, insane Mennonites and shit. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, no. So it, I, yeah, just a lot of this shit feels like a balancing act, you know. But um, I'm also slowly but surely learning that, you know, it is a job like anything else, and yeah. It's like if you, you know, if you're going into work, you have to like, for most jobs, you have to wear a tie, and so like there's, yeah, there's metaphorical ties, I guess, in in book writing as well. Yeah, but it, yes, it's like I said, it's a balance, it's a fine line because you start, it's a slippery slope. So say you you do write something, so you come up with some, people bash these all the time, but you know you come up with some hitman with a heart of gold idea, and you write it, mm-hmm. and it hits, yeah, and it makes a shit ton of money. Well, now you got to go do it again. Yeah. And again, and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you're now you're stuck in this ten book Hitman series that right. you'd never wanted to do. And yeah, it's working out for you, but it, it kind of uh, you got the golden you know, handcuffs. Should, yeah, it is the golden handcuffs. I mean, I, I've heard of people that are in that right now. With the uh, like, the, I've I've met somebody the other day who's who does really, I mean, really well with the uh, romance and erotica stuff. But she's mm-hmm. like on this hamster wheel, and she can't. She has to crank those out like every four months just to keep that machine running, and she's just yeah. sick of doing it. You know, there's no way out. <laughs> there's no, there's no exit. There's no off ramp. Yeah, so it's, like, it's like how many ways can I explain that somebody's getting, you know, finger blasted? Jesus, how how many billionaires want the mousy girl and, and candle wax and whatever the fuck? It's it's how can we do this again? Oh jeez, well that's that's almost where it's um it feels like a pseudonym would have to come in, right? Like you'd have yeah. to you have to like come up with a whole new personality if you wanted to all of a sudden write i don't know sci-fi or something like that and some people do that they do the pin name pin name thing and they write you know a different genre because a lot of the, i'm learning more with the self-publishing there's a lot of there's this whole when you get start getting into it there's this whole data analysis and algorithms and you start learning about how to rig the or not rig but how to make sure the also bots fit with you know what you right. got and right and all this shit so i mean like if you're mixing genres you can fuck up a lot of stuff because you're not getting the right people to look at the right books and all that stuff so people create different pen names to segregate you know i write sci-fi fantasy and then here i write thrillers and whatever so no that's and that's really really smart too and i think that that it's it's interesting because it is algorithmic but also i feel like readers in in a way 
kind of need that too, you know? I yeah. feel like, uh, like my favorite thing is genre mixing. Like I, I really enjoy crime fiction that has, you know, super weird elements or maybe a little bit of sci-fi or what have you. Right. Um, but I'm beginning to realize that I don't think that readers do, you know, I feel like they, they, they want the, they want the story that they kind of know, yeah, but just told a little bit differently, you know? So once again, you get back to that balancing act. It's like, how much do you really want to, you know, flip the whole table over and, you know, reinvent shit? And how much do you just want to give people what they want? Yeah. And that's the fear of you start writing things and people, you know, they loved your first three books and then fourth, you try to stretch yourself in some way oh. and then they just check out because there's so many, there's so many fucking books out there. It is so easy to just for people just to say, oh, we're done with that. <laughs> you know, it's, just, oh, I'll, t- I'll get this 900th free book that's right. on my Kindle. And it's, yeah, I mean, we've done it to ourselves. We've sure. flooded the market and whatever, but it's, once you get an audience, you have to fight like hell to keep it. Yeah. And how do you do that? You keep giving them what they want. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird it's yeah. a weird puzzle. Yeah, and I, th- I think that it's going to go the other way pretty much. I think it's going to – I think the the bubble has expanded. I don't think the bubble's ever going to burst, but I do think it's going to contract a little bit. And I do think that the smart money is on like definitely finding that – that. have you ever heard the, the thousand true fans theory? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's more true than it's ever been. Like you just have to find those the, – literally just those thousand people that are going to buy everything that you do. And just like really try to keep them, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a different. I don't know how. I was talking to somebody. I forgot who it was about, like Chuck Palahniuk and these people. Like, I don't know if he would ever. He never. If he had to start out today, mm-hmm. would he ever get signed? I mean, would would anybody take a chance on what he was doing? I mean, Man, maybe, I maybe not. I have no idea. But you know what's interesting about him is that he's actually a really great example of what we're talking about. And I think that he does I think he does what he does because he genuinely enjoys it. So he's got that he's got that super blessed position where he's just literally writing the books that he wants to write and people love him. But yeah. um <clears throat> what's interesting to me about Chuck Palahniuk, what I realized was I sort of got super, super into Fight Club when I was in like I don't know. I was like 14 or 15, right? Sure. And, and I was like, this is the fucking shit, you know? And then mm-hmm. as time goes on, I kind of like liked the books less and less. You know, I remember Pygmy came out and I thought, mm, I don't know about that one. And then Rand right. came out and that was really good. And then, you know, it's just like, to my mind, it was diminishing quality. But one of his books was coming out. I can't remember which one it was. And so we went up to Tulsa to see the, you know, the release party. They were having it in this uh, sort of library that was being renovated and at this point I was like in my late 20s and I was just like well I want to go see Chuck Palahniuk you know right and sure. when I went there this new book that I didn't give a shit about uh almost the entire crowd was like 15 16 year old kids so it's interesting like to them yeah. like doomed and damned are like their fight club and choke you yeah know? right and it's just like it's it's writing that just hits that age perfectly like where you're you're just like, oh, I fucking hate you, mom. I hate you, dad. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, but I mean, he's kind of creative. He's a brand, right? I mean, he's yeah, one of those yeah, few yeah. writers, right? Hey, there's a Chuck Palahniuk book, and it doesn't matter what he's, you know, he could write a space opera. It doesn't matter. Yeah. As long as it's his voice and him doing it the way he does whatever he does, people will go get that. And I get that. I like, I'll, I'll read anything. I don't love all of his books. Just like, you know, like Survivor is probably one of my favorites and, uh, and Fight Club and, and all that. But I mean, there's some, you're like, eh, what the fuck? But, Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, but at the same time, like if you take Fight Club out of that, if you take Brad Pitt and Edward Norton out of that equation, right? Is he doing anything that he's doing right now? I mean, not probably not. Right. I mean, that's a huge. It's a big yeah. fucking win. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, to have like one of the best movies ever made out of your books. Well, it's, you hear the story about how that movie got made. It's amazing that that book got made at the level that it got made at. Really? I don't. I don't know if I know the story. Yeah, I mean, I think they. I forgot who. There's a producer mm-hmm. who just loved the book and just just hammered away at it. And they didn't want to make it, obviously, because it's a weird book. It's yeah. that thing. There's nothing about that book that says, "Oh, this thing's gonna make a shitload of money." Right. And then they got Fincher involved, and Fincher got Pitt involved, and Edward Norton. Eventually, they couldn't say no, but then they threw a a pretty good sized budget at it that they never would have gotten unless they got those names. Right. And it, and that's the only reason it got made the way it is. Otherwise it might've gotten made for like $5 million and been this, it may have been a cool little indie thing, but it never, I mean, it's a slick movie. It's I mean, it's a very high end, high end movie and it probably shouldn't have gotten done, but just the pure will of some of those people that's the, they yeah. got to push that way. But yeah, no, it, seems, it does seem interesting too when you're in like the writing business, it feels like you, you don't necessarily have to have a bunch of friends. You just have to have the right friends. You know, absolutely it's just, like, just like one or two like because i was sitting there and i was like you know i feel like i'm a little bit you know abrasive uh by like my personality and i was like i don't know if i don't know if very many people like me and then i thought about it and i'm like but you know what the, the correct people like me right yeah. absolutely yeah i like you jdo i mean well, that's what go. the fuck else do you need besides that that's true that's true i have the mike, <laughs> mike mccurry seal of seal of approval <laughs> exactly right there's so many people that are after that you don't even know it's I'm gonna put that on my on my website. <laughs> exactly, put that as a designation. If it's I, better than I, CPA. If, if I wonder if we could actually do like like if that that would work in a weird sense, like if if you just started like whispering about Mike McCreary and hushed tones, <laughs> like, like I think that's happening, but just not in a good way. <laughs> but if you were like, did you hear that? Did you hear that Mike McCreary said that this book is really worth your time? Yeah. Like it's like it's like the emperor's new clothes, where it's like nobody would want to be out of the loop, right. so they'd be like, Mike. Oh yeah, my Mike. Of course. Yeah. Mike McCurry said it's a page turner. <laughs> Dude, we should totally do this. We should, yeah, we, we should just like create these bizarre legends about like who. Like, but but isn't that what we're doing? And I stopped doing this because I don't. Again, I don't want to offend anybody, but I like getting author blurbs yeah. for your books. I mean, we're we're kind of doing that anyway, but I just. One, I put out too many fucking books. So I don't have the time to get <laughs> blurbs for all of them because yeah, that's yeah. about all I would do. But I don't, I don't know if they matter. Maybe they do. I, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I think blurbs have worked on me before, um, but depends on who's doing them, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on who's doing them, and it's one of those things where like I kind of have to want to read the book anyway. Like I think yeah. blurbs are probably just like that extra nudge over the cliff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, like that, if, that that tipping point thing. Yeah, yeah. So I mean like a blurb that kind of explains what the book is and then uh, you know, like I'm already on board but I'm kinda uh, whatever. Then if an author that I really dig says this is worth checking out, then Yeah. I mean I've never been sold on anything by like a Stephen King blurb because there's too fucking many of them. Like Yeah, right. He blurbs everything. He just Well he hasn't blurred mine. <laughs> we should you should ask. Like, I hey, should. Hey, Steve. Steve. But it's but it's funny. Like if you, like some of these blurbs, if you know the publisher, 
yeah. and the agent, you can kind of connect the dots on why <laughs> these yeah, four yeah, people, yeah. these four people blurb this book and then they're going to blurb this book. It's, it's, right. you know, if you, if you know the math of it, it kind of all makes sense after a while. Right. And you know, and it gets it and it's exciting at first, like when you like put your first book out and you get like a blurb from somebody who you really, really respect, you're like, Oh wow. That's right. So awesome. But then, like you said, I mean, if you, every single blurb that's on any book, you can, I mean, just trace back to, you know, they knew each other from college or, you know, the, right. You know, and so it's like, I mean, it can be really cool, but if you're lucky enough to have, you know, gone to school with, you know, Chuck Polinick or whatever, or if you just know him and, yeah. you know, and he's like, Oh, this is, you know, really worth your time. Then you're, you're in business. Um, so yeah. So the, 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 I guess the good blurb feeling kind of wears off after a while once you see how the sausage gets made. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that happens with a lot of it. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm you sorry, you broke up. You, no, you broke up for a second there. Oh, okay. No, no, yeah, it's the good old Skype connection. <laughs> but, right. So you said that you're like moving into, into thrillers. Are there still going to be lots of uh, dick and ball jokes? Um, I'm going to try. Um, the uh, one I'm doing right now, well, I just finished up, as you know, the uh, second book in the steady Teddy series, probably get that out in March, but I'm working on a psychological thriller now. So I think, yeah, I think I can still work some dick and balls in there. It's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But it's more like, is it, it's more basically like serious or, or is it still kind of like pulpy and fun? Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's the thing you try to take. If you saw like the, you saw the outline of this, you'd like, well, what the fuck is McCurry writing that for? Cause it, yeah. it is a very it's a psychological thriller. There's some cool stuff, but there's a, uh, you know, there's some moments and some characters and things like that where I can do what I, mm-hmm. what I like to do. So I'm, it's, it's the act of making it my own. Yeah. And that, and there's really, it's, it is kind of an experiment. Can I take that thing? Can I take that? I don't know if it's a James Patterson, but let's just say, can I take that James Patterson idea mm-hmm. and do it my, and do it my way to right. a certain extent, at least. You know, I'm not putting the rubber sheet scene in there. I've learned my lesson with that. With the, uh, <laughs> tell, the, tell, the tell the rubber tell the rubber sheet story. Well, all right, so <laughs> try and do this without pissing some people off. So I wrote this book called Genuinely Dangerous. Right, very proud of the book. It's my favorite book that I wrote, and it and I got it through. And I'm not going to mention names here. I got it through channels to a pretty big publisher and an editor at um, at that publisher. Love the book. Love the voice. Everything going great. Blah, blah, blah. Agent that I knew was texting me like, hey, bro, this looks good. Blah, blah, blah. Happening. Got to like a weekend. And I was texting back or emailing back and forth with the editor. Hey, this looks really good. We have a meeting on Monday. Um, I'm going to finish the book. And then I'll go pitch it to the development people on Monday. I'm like, oh, holy shit. Things are looking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Finally coming together for Mike. I get an email on Monday. That was pretty much a form rejection letter. I mean, it was pretty close to, yeah. we appreciate you. This isn't for us and blah, 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 blah. Right, and it was right. all because of this goddamn rubber sheet scene yeah. <laughs> happens, and... happens towards the end of the book. And, you know, the agent's not texting me anymore. And the whole thing just went to shit. <laughs> it's just <laughs> fell. You have never seen a publisher go scorched earth on a project so fast <laughs> in your life. <laughs> and what's crazy is. Like I, I, when I published it myself, it went out and, you know, I got some good reviews and people yeah. dug it and I got contacted by, and then I will drop a name here, which is the most obsc- bizarre thing ever. Ellen DeGeneres' production company yeah. emailed me out of the blue and I have no idea how they came across this, but they emailed right. me out of the blue and they wanted to see it. I'm like, ah, 
I'll send it to you, but you know, I'm not sure Dory's going to dig this. And they're like, no, 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 you know, send it to us. I send it to it. And sure enough, you know, the fucking rubber sheet scene. Yeah. yeah crush, yeah. crush that, you know? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine. But uh, it's, yeah, it's just, story. yeah. If, there, if there's one fucking scene that I could go back, if I go back in time and rewrite yeah. one thing in one book, it would be that goddamn thing. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, no, but I mean, I think for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, I think that's intriguing enough now that they're probably just going to go buy the fucking book. Because they're like, what, right. what is it? Well, it's funny. It's become kind of this strange, you know, cult thing with, with our little group of people with the yeah. rubber sheets scene and then genuinely dangerous. But, it's, it's but like, what was, was really funny, when I wrote it, I remember writing it. I was on a plane to L.A. and I had my laptop and I'm typing away and I finished the scene and I, I just had, I was so self-satisfied with what I had done. <laughs> with the, I was like so so proud of myself and yeah. so happy <laughs> i'm like yeah that's the one that's the one people are going to talk about and sure enough yeah it was but not the way you. it's become <laughs> a shorthand now it's like i got rubber sheets <laughs> <laughs> anytime you get shot down for something it's gonna be you got rubber sheeted <laughs> fucking fucking dumbass <laughs> so when i say i learned my lesson that's what i'm talking about that one right, right, right. but you know but at the same time look i did it I love the book. I'm proud of the fucking book. Right. It is what it is. It's what I wanted it to be. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Again, if somebody would have contacted me, if that publisher said, hey, we will do this. We'll pay you X amount of dollars if you'll change the rubber sheet scene. That rubber sheet scene has gone. Yeah. Let's not pretend that I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. rebellious artist. But it right. didn't, and it's out there, and, and it's fine. And, um, you know, I would lo- what I would love to do, this is I was, something I was, we got sidetracked, but what I would love to do mm-hmm is be able to kind of do, you remember like kind of the 90s where like big actors would do like one action movie or like three action movies and they do like a small independent. So it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, three three for them, one for me. I would right. love to get to a point where I could write three commercialist, commercially kind of, but whatever, that's a fucking word, yeah. type books and then write one off the rails fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking and if it sells just, two copies, so be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of like the commercialist sounds like a Liam Neeson movie or something. You know, like, <laughs> Maybe that's the next book. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, the the, 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 com- the commercialist. The commercialist. Um, he's on the run, and he's he loves watching commercials. <laughs> <laughs> he loves making money. Yeah, the commercialist could be like a one-hour photo type thing, like that, <laughs> but like somebody who just really loves calling into ShamWow at like. um but no yeah no i i again like i was i was totally thinking the same thing and it's like i you get to a certain point where you realize like the things that you want to do are like for me my kind of like light bulb that went on over my head was when i watched twin peaks the the new Twin peaks and i loved it um but then I thought back, and I'm like, you know what, David Lynch, even though he did start with Eraserhead, I mean, he's had a, like, 35, 40-year career where he, right. where he did make Dune, and he made The Elephant Man, and he made The Straight sure. Story. And, Absolutely. you know, if some, if a 31-year-old nobody were to show up with that, must it must have been a phone book-sized script for Twin Peaks and dropped it on the desk at Showtime and said, yeah. you know, give me $20 million to make this. There is no fucking way that that could happen. So the oh, thing yeah. that I took from that, I was like, you know, maybe I I need to like I have all these grand ideas for the, all this fucking weird shit, and that's sure. cool. And I think being ambitious is cool, but you kind of have to like prove to people that you can just tell a basic story first. And I, I right. feel like I tried to skip a whole bunch of like with my first two or three books. Uh, Blackcomb's pretty okay; it's pretty straightforward. But with those first two or three books, it was like. 
look at how weird and, you know, inventive and strange and, you know, minimalist and blah, blah, blah. But right. it's, I mean, it's, I just feel like it was, it's, it was, you run the risk of becoming what they call a writer's writer, you know, where only... Yeah, but I mean, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think you wrote them, they're your vision and you're proud of them, but you know, you can say that's where you're figuring shit out. Yeah. Right. And we, and, and that, and that's probably the good thing about being a, and I hate author being a, a book writer now for lack of a better term is you can do that. I mean, you can write these books that, that aren't going to sell Yeah, great. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to go gangbust. Maybe get lucky and it finds an audience or whatever, mm-hmm. but you can do that get them out there. You're happy. And then you, you figure out your art and you figure out what the fuck you're going to do. And then if you want to keep writing those fine, but you know, as long as you understand that you're never going to probably yeah. make a gajillion dollars doing that, you're just happy making the art. There's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, but like we were saying earlier, if you want to try and make a living doing this, then you're probably gonna have to make some concessions somewhere. But yeah, unfortunately, and I think I, I think that it honestly, like if I'm if if I'm being honest, having a book on a major publisher and this, if if indie David from five years ago he could hear this, he'd probably reach through time and slap me. But I do think right. that, like seeing your book like in an airport or something that would just feel really good. You know what I mean? Oh right, right. Like it would just it yeah. Would... Well, I mean, you know, people like. People in our community that are, that are indie or whatever, and they'll, they'll sit there at BoucherCon and, and drink and talk about how shitty James Patterson is and how shitty publishing is or whatever. Like, you handed any of those motherfuckers a six-figure check and say, hey, come with me, they'd come dancing along so goddamn fast. I mean, oh, totally. it's yeah. – it, yeah. yeah. It's good to be it's good to be honest with yourself about that kind of stuff. So is this, is this like – so you have a normal job. You have a regular job. Yeah. And you do I this. Do. So do you have yeah. – do you have time for – like hobbies? Do you, <laughs> Not do, really. do you have fun? <laughs> <laughs> this is what counts as fun, JDOs. Talking. Uh-oh. See, this is this is my fun. <laughs> this is ma- this is magic hour. Me and you. That makes me so sad. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. They'll be, uh, they'll be crying in the bathtub tonight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I. You know, it's. And that's the other thing. As. Like I said, I'm 47. I don't know how much longer I can keep getting up at four o'clock in the fucking morning and doing this. And and and, and I think when it stops being enjoyable and stops being fun, I think that's when that's, that's when you give up. It's because yeah, it, right. it's just it's, it's it is difficult. And if it's 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 hard to write a book. It's not yeah. as hard as coal mining, but I mean, it is difficult to write a book. Well, it's just different types of hard, right? You know, right. I mean, it's just like I, I, the amount of. When you think about the amount of brain work that goes into actually writing a novel and having to keep like juggle all those moving parts and keep all the plates spinning and whatever other metaphor means that there's a lot right, involved right. in it, um, a lot of shit going on. A lot of shit going on. I mean, it is hard. It is pretty hard. Um, so yeah, I would agree. Like it has to be. You, you do have to have fun, I guess. But so are you, are are you basically saying that that that's pretty much all you do? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, I have a family. We, we you know we do things and, and everything, and I got friends and. All that's fine, but it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you get up at four and you fight traffic and you come home, you're fucking tired. So it doesn't leave a whole lot of room yeah. for, you yeah. know, Austin tennis. traffic is a bitch and a half, man. Like that it is. Yeah. It's well, Austin's not designed for this kind of growth, man. I that mean, was the problem with Portland, dude. That was the exact same thing that happened to Portland is that, you know, it's a beautiful city that just fucking was made to maybe house like a couple hundred thousand people. Yeah. You know, right. Right. Most. And, well, I think, you know, I think Austin and, and Portland are kind of, I mean, kind of sister cities in a way. Sure. They both kind of, they blew up around the same time. They've become like the hipster or whatever the fuck. And, mm-hmm. 
and, the, and I've never been to Portland, so tell me to shut the fuck up anytime. But it, it seems to be a lot of similarities no, between between the vibe and uh, and both of them. But I mean, Austin. I mean, what people love about Austin and the you know the canyons and the stuff or whatever, like you can't create more highway. Yeah. In some of these locations, unless you're just going to completely fuck everything up, which I don't recommend doing, but it's, yeah, I, I don't mean, know what they're going to do. I had a friend who, uh, like I was hanging out with him and like the, just the, the distance between these places too. Cause he was in, what the hell is it? Is it round rock? Yeah. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry. He was in Pflugerville. Nah, Pflugerville. And, uh, we were, I was staying with somebody who was in, uh, San Marcos, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That was a fucking, that was an hour and a half. To get from yeah. one to the other, and if it's all part of the same metro, and this was at night, like this was just like straight up, it was like fifty-five miles apart, and I was like, this yeah. is just the sprawl is fucking massive, man. Yeah, it didn't, like I, like I said, I grew up in Texas, and Austin was always like the party city. Yeah, so yeah. like when I was a kid in high school, like somebody's brother or sister would be going to the University of Texas, and we'd all haul ass up to Austin and get hammered and yeah. and whatever, and it was never this huge. Right. Um, and San Marcos, it used to be Southwest. Texas State was the college there. Now it's just Texas State. They had to change the name because it had a bad reputation for all the drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, San Marcos used to be even worse than Austin. I mean, that was, I friends went to Southwest, and that was just booze haven. But now right. it's just all kind of. It's almost like all just bleeding into San Antonio. I mean, before too long, it's just going to be Austin, San Antonio. It's right, it's right, kind right. of insane. Yeah. So, when, so where did you grow up in Texas? Um, well, I moved around all over. I was born in Houston. Lived in a bunch of different towns, Denton and uh, Beaumont, and, but ended up in Conroe for high school, which is about 50 miles north of Houston. Oh, okay. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Denton's a really cool town, too, actually. Like, yeah. That would be a nice place. I mean, I'm all the way. I'm essentially in New Mexico. Sometimes I feel like I'm actually in Mexico. Right. Well, you kind of are. Yeah. I mean, it's well, like... I, went, I, went to, I went to college up at Texas Tech. Not that, I guess it is kind of far from El Paso, but I mean, that whole West Texas vibe is its own thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because yeah, when whenever I'll make the drive to Austin, once you get to a certain point, like El Paso is so isolated in the desert, like you're basically when you right. drive to Austin, the the first half of the trip, which is four fucking hours, is just this yeah. desolate wasteland until it's you just get, shit. Yeah, it's just, and then all of a sudden you start to see like scrub here and there, and it's just I just yeah. realize like how like deep in the desert I am, but I like it honestly. I mean, I think it's it makes me feel like I'm, you know, like in a post-apocalyptic way, which is totally my vibe. Yeah, but I mean, you moved there for other reasons, though, right? There, you moved there to do your thing. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it is what it is. But it's funny, like I said, so I, when I moved from Dallas to L.A., I drove, and it is funny. You'll just watch the vegetation slowly disappear. <laughs> so you go from, like, thick woods, and it goes less and less and yeah. less. Then you hit New Mexico, then you're in the desert in Arizona. Until you hit the ocean over by Los Angeles, there's right. still no fucking green. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. No, it's definitely, it's a it's a vibe, man. And I think that there there's, like, that has to play into, like, the psychology of the people who live out here, too. You know what I mean? Like, I, I realized right. that when I moved to Portland, and I know this sounds crazy, but one of the things that made it so that I besides the price of living there and stuff, but like one of the things that really made it so that I felt like I had to move was that I just felt fucking claustrophobic, you know? I mean, yeah. I grew up in yeah. Oklahoma and I was used to seeing the sky all the time. And, you know, yeah, right. when, you, when you go right. to Portland, it's like you're just surrounded by trees at all times. And it's just, it feels really, 
that was one of the, the it's funny, Brandon, one of the things that I had the hardest time to adjust to when I moved from Texas to LA is like, you're given a lot of space in Texas, right? Yeah. Go to LA, you're just surrounded by motherfuckers. I mean, yeah. you can't go anywhere and it's right. just, it's a little, it's a little much at first. Yeah. To no, get, get your head around. That was the vibe I got when I first went to New York City. I was just, I was just like, how, I just, because, okay, so I pretty much like when I went to go visit New York City for the first time, it was like one of the first real places I had gone um, outside of, you know, Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, like, everybody drives everywhere. And yep. if, if you're walking, especially in the town that I grew up in, which is, it's called Lawton, and it's just a shithole. Oh, yeah. It's a fucking shithole. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're walking. No, my, so, wife's, my wife's from Oklahoma. I know. I know exactly what you speak. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a total shit. But if you're walking somewhere in Lawton, Oklahoma, and somebody's like, coming at you from you know the same direction there's this incredible tension because they might just like beat the shit out of you for no discernible reason right like I mean, because I, they're bored because they're bored exactly <laughs> like i remember so many times walking to the to the video store to get tapes uh and just like i knew that when i was like that i was going to have shit thrown at me and people are going to be like fuck it you know like and just because yeah. they're, they're bored and mean and you know so yeah when i went to new york and I got there, I was like on edge the whole time because you're just sure. surrounded by people and you grow up thinking like, oh shit, like if I'm walking this way and this guy's walking towards me, like I'm tense, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then eventually you learn like in a real city, people don't have fucking time to mess with you. Like, nobody's, <laughs> nobody even knows that you exist. And plus in New York, everybody has more money than you anyway. So they're not going to mug you. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> when, you when you walk around Manhattan, you realize, oh, I'm the poorest guy within 20 miles of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody is coming to take my shit. Like, the, the homeless guys literally make more in a day. <laughs> they look at you like, really, guy? How do you live? <laughs> oh, just thinking of a, of a homeless guy in New York being like, where are you from? Oklahoma? Ooh. Oh Jesus! Oh, no, God. you take you take your dollar back. No, we're cool. <laughs> you, you need this. You need this more than me. Well, when I was in L.A., like it was around Christmas time, I was going into a uh, drugstore. I can't remember what it was, and there was a homeless guy. He had a uh, like an empty paper plate outside, yeah. and I didn't have any. You know, I was going to go in and get something, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this guy some money. It's the holidays. It's you know, 65 in L.A., which is freezing. So I'm just going to give him whatever change I get from this 20. I'm going to give it to this guy on the way out the door. So I get, I don't know, it's like three dollars and something. Which, which, you know, there's a McDonald's right over here. There's a coffee place. He could have done something with that. Sure. So I, I put it in his thing and it was, you know, three whatever. And I go, you know, you know, Merry Christmas. He goes, oh, thank you. Thank you. I make it three steps. The motherfucker goes, hey, do you have a 20? <laughs> I'm like, really, guy? Yeah, no. That The first time I experienced that was actually in San Francisco. And I was just like, I had to go. Uh, there were some friends of mine that were their band was practicing in this tiny little um, like storage locker basically. And so I went to go uh, hang out with them and I went across the street to buy beer and I'd never seen anything like it in my life because there was like just a crowd of homeless people surrounding Mm -hmm. the entrance to the, the the thing. And uh, I had to like literally kind of nudge my way through and literally everybody was asking if I had a 20 for them. You know, and I was just like, this is, this is just like, I mean, you might be in the wrong market here. You know, there's too much competition. You know? right, it's, it's, right. dri- it's driving the prices up here because there's so much competition. You have to make the one person count. Um, yeah. But yeah. No, you either got to be the one guy in the crowd asking for a five yeah. or you need to go to another place. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you got to undercut, man. Don't you know how this works? <laughs> exactly. This is why you're homeless. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you're addicted to drugs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. That and poor life decisions. But, yeah. you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. I sometimes right. wonder about that. And, you know, it's it might sound like for, for bleeding heart people, but I'm not really a bleeding heart person. Um, when it comes to, to, to homeless people, there are as many reasons that they are homeless as you know i could possibly think of but sure sometimes i do like in port i'm because me portland had a ton of homeless people and you know and they come in all 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 shapes and sizes and some of them have you know legit reasons but a lot of them dude and i got this straight from the horse's mouth because a buddy of mine did like he hitchhiked across the country and dealt with a lot of this he's like a lot of them are just people that are so insufferable not mentally ill just insufferable that their family has literally <laughs> abandoned them <laughs> wow wow i've met some assholes in my life but i can't imagine yeah being such an asshole that it makes you homeless <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's that's a whole new level of dickhead that i have not experienced yeah, and i'm not sure i want to <laughs> yeah he was like uh, he was telling me you know he's like there there are people who are genuinely you know, schizophrenic and, you know, right, they, right. They, just, they just can't be taken care of. And of course our mental health system in the United States is fucking terrible. Um, right. but, uh, but basically he's like, you know, I, I would hang out with this girl and she just didn't like to pay for stuff. You know, like she was homeless <laughs> because she just refused to pay for things. Yeah. And, uh, he, he went to, they went to like a whole foods or something and he used, uh, food stamps to get, you know, a box of noodles or whatever. And she was just like disgusted by him. Like she's like, "You pay for things." <laughs> <laughs> she has this amazing ETF portfolio, right. and she's sucking all the money into. <laughs> she's like, "You pay for your noodles? What, are yeah. you stupid?" That's crazy. Like I, I get people to pay for things for me, and he was like, right. "Oh, okay, well, whatever." But anyway, yeah, no, just imagine an asshole big enough to have like <laughs> alienated everybody who cares about him. <laughs> Wow, that's, maybe that's your I next know. book, man. Maybe that's yeah. the character right there. That's that's kind of that is kind of your characters in a weird way. Like they, they a big like, enough asshole to be alienated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they end up like everybody ends up kind of like becoming friends anyway, in spite of the assholery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I kind of I kind of dig the antihero thing. It's it's to me, it's more interesting. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't even know. I mean, back to the whole thing. I don't even know how to write a. And I don't know if anybody would even believe it. I don't know how to write the character that's pure and wonderful and does everything the right way. I don't. I don't even know what that is. That. Yeah. No. I don't know if anybody would buy it. I mean, I. I don't, I don't know how you write that. I don't either. Or would want to. I don't either. Well, it looks like we're over. Actually, we're over an hour. So. All right. I am going to let you go, sir. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, do you want to plug it before you go, or do you just want me to? I'll, I can also plug it in the uh, in the intro. I uh, plug it. I don't. Uh, I don't need to hold myself out any more than I already have. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, have, have you learned nothing? Have you learned? Nothing? <laughs> I, I, I've learned nothing. I'm just. I'm just. I never said I was smart, dude. You're just awesome, man. Hey, thanks. Thanks again for your time, dude. No, no, dude. I appreciate. it. I've been trying to. Uh, I'm looking to do this for a while. This is awesome. <laughs>